0: Welcome into to a Monday morning edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. We are back after an extended hiatus. I am back in the United States for the first time in 48 hours. I am back in New York for the first time in about a month and we are talking Kevin Knox today, Alex.
1: Yeah, the season that was for Kevin Knox, uh, up and down roller coaster season, lots of peaks and valleys for the Rook, which was to be expected. We will get into all that and more including previewing his 2019-20 season on Locked On Knicks.
0: You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind, Cabin
1: at one. Chris this. Oh, what he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane. To trio. Trio, trio, trio. Becomes infectious.
0: You are locked on Knicks. We are back after an extended hiatus. Gavin Shaw alongside Alex Wolf. And well, wanted to remind you, today's show is brought to you by Indochino. Once you go custom, you never go back. Indochino's newest sponsor, Alex, R.J. Barrett. So a lot of reasons for Knicks fans to be into Indochino. I believe there are about five stores in the New York, New Jersey area. So an excellent opportunity to get out and get yourself a custom made shirt, suit, or pair of chinos.
1: Well, of course, for anyone who listens to the other NBA shows, we, we have the pleasure of actually doing that in person with Indochino, which is pretty cool and recording the ad for the whole locked on network. Cause we're super big time now, Gavin. We're big, big superstars, big names. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's a cool product. Um, they take all your measurements and, and, uh, you know build you an online profile and send you custom tailored stuff right to your door so pretty nifty if i do say so myself but anyway gavin how are you it's been a while it's been uh i guess like almost two weeks or maybe even a little slightly more than two weeks since we last put out a show because just so happened you and i had coinciding vacations which uh sort of took out of commission for a while how was your trip
0: it, it, was, it was it was excellent, and it's sort of I guess this is like the heart of the NBA offseason, where outside of uh, Team USA, which conveniently involves no New York Knicks, uh, there's there's essentially nothing going on. So this was this was the right time for us to both go away. Um, I, I mentioned it I think on the show maybe the last one we did or two times ago. I was doing kind of an extended West Coast trip. I was working in Austin. For ten days, I made my way down to Houston, where you ended up about a week later than I did to visit one of my best friends. Uh, went to L.A., saw the Yankees beat the Dodgers, which I'm sure will excite about half the people listening and piss off the other half of the people listening. Uh, got got into a Malibu beach house for a night, which was pretty pretty amazing uh, due to due to no fortune of my own, but uh, pure luck and the generosity of friends. So that was that was pretty awesome. And uh, then I, I got to explore the Pacific Northwest for the first time, uh, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, uh, all all pretty amazing cities. I will say Vancouver is probably one of like the two or three best cities I've ever been to. And if I had a reason to do it, I, I would want to move there in like a second. It's clean. It's big. It's nice. It's modern. Just has about everything you could possibly want outside of a basketball team. But, uh, there, there's no, there are no Vancouver Knicks. There are no Vancouver Grizzlies to torture the fans there. So I guess, I guess they get off on that front.
1: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, uh, for, for listeners that are curious, I was, uh, I went to Texas for, uh, about a week and saw some friends, went to the Houston area where it is. Uh, every bit as gross as the grossest days in the New York, New Jersey area during the summer, uh, it was probably about a hundred degrees and like 98% humidity while I was there, but that was, that was still fun regardless. And then went to Dallas where it was significantly drier, just as hot. And I spent a lot of time in a pool and just chilling with my friends and took a much needed break from everything. So I feel pretty. Rejuvenated. Although I feel like right now I sound kind of sleepy, probably because I'm just like, meh. I've been sitting around watching football all day. But uh, yeah, I, I feel very rejuvenated and good and ready for this upcoming next season. But Gavin, we should probably hop into uh, the the second to last play review that we're going to do before we start fully looking towards the you know new season that's coming up. Uh, we have to break down Kevin Knox today, who played in 75 games last year as a rookie. Average 29 minutes per game. Had uh, averages of 13 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 1 assist on a kind of bad 37% from the field, a kind of decent 34% from 3, and also decent 72% from the free throw line. And his best game, uh, I, which I think is pretty indisputable, was he had a 31.7 rebound, 2 steal performance in a 108-105 to 105 loss versus Philly. On January 13th, he shot 12 of 23 from the floor in that game and four of nine from three. Uh, that was also the game where he busted out the the Harden step back on a three, which was kind of cool. Um, and he looked every bit as good as what you would think the best version of Kevin Knox could be as a scorer in this league and as a player. But, uh, Gavin, I don't know, I I feel like, if you were going to best describe Knox's season this past year, it would probably be like a roller coaster because he was either, he went through stretches where he was like nuclear hot and then went through stretches where he was like an Arctic cold. Like he just, he didn't really have much of an in-between this year.
0: Yeah. I remember we had, this is in the very, the, the infancy days of the podcast. I think, I think this was during the week you were getting married. I had a Jonathan Macri, on the podcast and, and the premise of that one. And maybe you, you and I, and, and possibly we'll get Macri back for it could do something similar um, in a couple of months, but we were sort of assigning percentage odds to every player on the Knicks roster um, in terms of whether or not they would eventually make an all-star team. And Knox was the only guy on the team we put above, or I think right at 50%. And, and, and sort of the consensus was like, look, this guy's obviously super duper raw. He's he's not a good player. He's not even an average player yet. But the tools were just like so abundantly obvious. And then over the course of the rest of the season, you just kind of got increasingly pessimistic about him because he he didn't really make the improvements you would look for um, outside of short stretches at the very, very end of the year. Never totally diversified his game. He he is basically contingent on a night-to-night basis, whether... 20-footers would go in for him with guys in his face. If they weren't dropping, he wasn't going to be very good. If he was hitting those in threes at a high clip, he would have a pretty efficient scoring game without contributing much in, in any other facet of, of what usually makes a good basketball player. So I, I consider him somewhat of an enigma. Um, the thing to remember is, I mean, most rookies are bad, and just because a rookie is bad, it's not indicative that a guy is going to have a bad career, and, and you more so look at the flashes of upside and the tools, and Kevin Knox obviously has plenty of those, and, and I, get, I guess the question coming out of it is you can you can say all that, but you're like, OK, but some of the numbers were genuinely historically awful. And can he overcome that with all the talent he seems to possess?
1: Yeah, I know some of the some of the like uh pinky out advanced metrics, you know, like RPM and and all that stuff from ESPN really, really hated Kevin Knox, like like to the point where they considered him one of the worst rookies and overall players of all time ever as far as, like, RPM is concerned and stuff like that. Honestly, though, I I don't think it's fair to judge Knox on that sort of curve. Like, I don't really care what the advanced stats said about him this year because it's just like you said. He, he was so young. He was the second youngest player in last year's draft class. We talked about all year how he was only 19 because uh, it was true. And, I, I mean, he literally just turned 20, like, two weeks ago. Um, so he, you know, cause he's an August baby. So he's, you know, he, he's a very, very young player. Um, he's, he was still growing last year, as far as I know, which is an underrated part. I think of Frank Milikina too, that we talked about during the Frank show is that when these kids are still growing, like it's, it's difficult to fully command your body when, you know, with the amount of precision you need in the NBA to get a jump shot, to go right. And to contort your body and stuff like that. You know, if your, if your arm grows half an inch throughout the season, that's half an inch difference of release point and everything else, which to you and I would be like, whatever, but to a professional NBA player who's shooting, you know, a thousand jumpers a day, that, that is kind of an issue, uh, when things just start changing like that, uh, due to nature and, you know, nothing that they can control. So I, I think that, uh, I think Knox is, I, I think he definitely showed like some tools that paint him as a, a player that has a lot of upside and someone that if he figures it out, at least on offense could be, I mean, I think we've mentioned this before, but he could be somewhere in like Rudy Gay territory, something like that, which I don't mean as an insult, even though I know Rudy Gay for a long time was like kind of like the punch of like inefficient, like volume scorer. Um I'm thinking more like what Rudy Gay has become, which is actually a, a somewhat efficient, um, you know, scorer who, who picks his shots a little better now. As far as, uh, you know, how he plays the game. So I just, I think Knox, like, if nothing else could have a, a good career as like a good three point shooter and maybe be like kind of a small stretch four if he reaches his peak. Cause I, I really do think that his defense did not lend itself to, um, making him look like he's going to be a good defender at any point in his NBA career, at least not better than average. Like you'd hope that he can just kind of become a, an, uh, you know, an even defender and a plus offensive player, which will just make him a plus player overall. But, um, yeah, I was generally encouraged by him this year, though. I don't know. I mean, that's just my general takeaway before we kind of dive more into it in the next segment.
0: All right, so so why don't we take a quick break, and we'll come back. We'll get a little bit more detailed on some of the numbers for Kevin Knox, um, where they were encouraging, and where you, you kind of think maybe this isn't going to work out for him. We'll tell you about that next on Locked On next.
1: All right, welcome back into Locked On Knicks, breaking down Kevin Knox's 2018-19 season. And as we mentioned in the first segment, it was pretty up and down. He had himself some really good months and some really bad months. Um, Gavin, I, I just pulled up a number that I was curious about. One thing that I'm sure anyone who listened to us throughout the season was aware was a big pet peeve of mine with Knox was that David Fisdale seemed to like to put him up at the top of the key and kind of just have him figure things out for himself in ISO, which worked just fine for guys like Alonzo Trier, who kind of have that in their bag. But Kevin Knox was not the strongest dribbler. He's not the strongest creator for himself. So I looked up some numbers just out of curiosity about how he did in certain situations with certain amounts of dribbles, which was available through uh, NBA.com slash stats uh, on zero dribbles, so essentially, you know, catch-and-shoot situations, Knox shot 34.2% from three, and he actually shot 47% on twos, which is not half bad. Uh, those numbers all tend to go down depending on how many more dribbles he took. Uh, when you get to the point of seven-plus dribbles, he's at 25.6% on his field goals, which is really ugly. Those are the sort of situations that we saw where, he was being given the ball and just told to figure it out. But you do have some pretty decent numbers, especially on his uh, two-point percentage. When he was given two to six dribbles, uh, he, he shot around 40%, which generally speaks to if you're taking like two to six dribbles, that's usually on like a cut or a quick motion and, you know, something that's not going to require him to, you know, stand out there and just kind of figure things out on his own. I think, Gavin, that that is going to be the key to fully unlocking Knox this year. And we sort of saw that in Summer League a little bit. He wasn't being asked to do too much. Like, you could even look back on his first Summer League and say, like, wow, yeah, they really treated him like a superstar there. And as much as everybody freaked out because he averaged, like, over 20 points a game, which was cool, he was shooting, like, a a pretty miserable, like, 33% or something during his first Summer League. And then you saw this year during Summer League, he shot a much higher percentage. He was shooting really good from three. And it seemed like most of what the Knicks were trying to do with him was get him set up in situations where he can, you know, be used in catch and shoots and on the occasional cut to the basket and stuff like that. And on the bright side, too, that could potentially save some energy for him from the defensive end where he really, you know, needs to expend more energy going forward because, you know, he was pretty lackadaisical. On defense, a lot of times this year. So I don't know what your thoughts are as far as that all is concerned.
0: Yeah, no, it's. I, I mean, it, it's it's kind of a lot to process with him, and and I keep I keep referring to him as, as sort of an enigma. And I think part of the reason he's such an enigma is that Dave Fizdale's and I guess the Knicks as an organization, their go-to method for developing him was it it was basically the equivalent of throwing, like, a four-year-old in the water and just, like, letting them, like, sink for, like, a minute and then being like, okay, someone bring him up, take him out, all right, throw him back in, let him do it again And, and until they just figure out how to swim which apparently works extraordinarily well. So we'll, we'll see if it's applicable in the NBA, too. But they let him stretch out his game in, in so many ways that were uncomfortable, and frankly, he wasn't even close to being ready for. Like, he, his ideal role last season, I mean, honestly, like, he, he I think, like, on a better team, he would have essentially did what Anthony Simons, another guy who was extremely young, who came, I, I think basically he did a year of prep school, but basically straight out of high school, and, and he just took, like, a redshirt year last year. And you saw him come in, like, final – Final game of the season dropped 37 points. I'm not saying that's necessarily what would have happened with Knox in the same scenario. But like if if you want to talk about a guy who's in, in terms of his readiness for the NBA, how much he should have played, that honestly should have been it because he wasn't ready to be an NBA player. Statistically, he was one of the two or three worst rotation guys in the entire league last year. But instead of just burying him and saying, okay, you're going to work on skill development, you're going to watch film, they said, no, 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 you're going to be out there, you're going to be playing big minutes in certain lineups and certain stretches, you're going to be our go-to scorer. And again, the upside of that is, okay, he, it's, it's as hard as it's ever going to be for him. It's never going to be more difficult than that. The downside is I'm kind of concerned that he's developed some bad habits and, and taking all those mid-range jumpers, taking a lot of fadeaways, um, playing in a situation where he wasn't really surrounded by good passers, and granted that's probably going to be the scenario this year too, but he is going to have a lot more NBA players around him this year. He's not going to be able to take the same types of shots, and I'm, I'm so curious to see if he can adjust to that and become a more efficient player because to me that, that's going to be the key to his success, whether he can be more selective and that in turn translates into a more effective score.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think you could argue that part of what led to that you know, to him being, and making some bad decisions and stuff was that he got really tired in the middle of the season. I think, I think he kind of hit the rookie wall. Like he was going like 60 miles an hour and crash test dummy into the rookie wall basically because I mean, he was, he, he, he started off the season. He only played a couple games in October and then he got hurt. Like he got hurt in the, the second game, I believe, like right in the beginning of it. It was against the Celtics. He sprained his ankle, kept him out for most of October. Uh, came back in November. Played in 13 games and, but only played about 18 minutes a game. Month of December was what you were talking about, uh, in the first segment when you talked with Macri and that was when he was really killing it. He averaged 17 points for that month, uh, shot 40% from the field and 38% from three. But then for the next two months, average for January and February, averaged 13 points a game and only shot collectively like roughly 34% from the floor. Um, and like under 30% from three, which really sucked. And then towards the end of the season, still playing almost 30 minutes a game, he, uh, you know, he went back out there and he got 13 points a game on 41% from the floor and 43% from three, which was even better. So, I mean, I think, I think the big thing is, you know, he's, his conditioning is going to have to improve, which I think it will. I mean, if you saw him during Summer League and then you see, like, you know, various photos of him from over the summer, he looks like he's put on a little bit of muscle. Uh, I'm sure with that has come some, uh, you know, some endurance improvement as well, you know, as he works on his body more and works on his conditioning and and getting himself up to NBA speed. but. I think that was a large part of why he, like when he really did struggle, I think that was why he struggled. And I do hope that if he runs into that this year, you know, as a sophomore, the Knicks have so much depth at the, you know, the wing spots this year with like Ellington, Bullock, uh, Marcus Morris. They have RJ Barrett, obviously Alonzo Trier, uh, Damian Dotson, all those guys. I mean, you so much depth and really this team will probably for all intents and purposes be working on development again. So, I hope that if Knox kind of hits that same wall this year when he's playing like 30 plus minutes a game. Um, I mean, I can remember for that, that month of December, Fizdale played him for like 35 minutes a game. And then he continued playing him like 32 minutes a game through the next two months. And that was what kind of like ran the wheels off of him a little bit until they finally uh, cut him back a little bit to end the season. But like, it, I think it's just on, on Fizdale to recognize that this year. And if Knox starts to look like he's getting tired again, you know, start cutting back his play time a little bit. Maybe still give him starts if he's playing well enough to start. But, you know, recognizing that his his fatigue level is going to affect his play, which then in turn would affect his confidence. Because I think that after a while it did start to affect his confidence when he was missing so many shots and all that. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a really important thing for me this year, at least as far as Knox is concerned.
0: I, I think I think you diagnosed it perfectly. It's it, it sort of, it's it just like a, a snowball tumbling down a mountain and picking up more and more momentum and, and you, you start, con- when you're tired, and I think we, we've talked about this a bunch on, on the podcast, you start compensating in a bunch of different ways and, and when you're already, like, again, a, a rookie and someone as And and, and Knox isn't a small guy by any means, but I I think compared to what he'll eventually be, like someone who's relatively physically underdeveloped. um, I I remember I kept hearing like when he he was on that great stretch in in December where I I think for like a week or two or it might have been for a month, he was one of the five best um, first quarter scorers. In the NBA and then, and every game he would start off hot and then fade in the second half of hearing, "Oh, like his knees are bothering him, like his legs aren't 100%. And, and again, it's just, it's just a dramatic shift from playing 30 games in college to 82 in an NBA season and playing a role that frankly, I, I just don't think he was ready for. He hit about the same usage percentage last year for the Knicks that I think he did at Kentucky. If anything, it might have even been a little bit higher. They, they ran dramatically more pick and rolls with him as a primary ball handler. Then he did at Kentucky. So last season was all about stretching Kevin Knox in every way possible, seeing in what ways he could survive, in what ways, particularly on defense, he would really, really struggle. Um, I, I want to take one more break, Alex, and come back and, and kind of get into what we think he can be and where he can improve and what parts of his game that were awful he could turn into maybe slightly below average this year or even, even significantly below average would be an improvement and through that become a stable NBA player. So we'll get to that next on Locked on Knicks. You're back on Locked on Knicks, third and final segment to start off your Monday morning. Again, it's Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf talking Kevin Knox's rookie season and what we think he's going to do next year. So the the big thing for me, Alex, is I, I just and, and I, I think you made you made an excellent point earlier in the episode that his long term destiny is to play power forward and defend power forwards. Uh, next year's Knicks team is not necessarily going to have that opportunity given how many bigs they have, and like pre- unless presumably they're going to play Bobby Portis. A lot at the four, obviously, Julius Randle is going to soak up a significant portion of those minutes. You even have other wings on the roster like Marcus Morris and maybe even R.J. Barrett, if he shows up to camp, a lot bigger than we expect, who could sort of play in that spot. So Knox's best case defensively is going to be a little bit of a hybrid, and that that was an area... That he was, he was genuinely awful and like, I mean, again, we, we mentioned all, what, what, was the phrase you use? Uh, finger up analytics? Uh, that was, that was, yeah, pinky out, pinky, pinky out, out analytics. Yeah, that's it. That's pinky yeah, out, not finger up. Pinky, uh, finger up could mean a lot of things. Uh, pinky out analytics. Uh, and th- those, those numbers often painted him as perhaps the worst offender in the NBA. And I think that was an area he certainly improved as the year went on. You certainly saw him get a lot more aware off the ball. Summer League, for me, was actually really encouraging for him in that respect. He had a couple of like off-ball blocks, a few off-ball steals, and it seems like he's generally getting more cognizant and someone who understands how team defense works in the NBA a little bit better. And even if the Knicks don't project to be a great defensive team next year, I think playing more minutes with Mitchell Robinson and, and just playing more minutes with guys who have been on the floor for long periods of time in the NBA are going to make him better just sort of by osmosis and he's not going to have to cover quite as much ground. But to me, that's sort of the big question for him. Can he be a league average defender? He has the size to do it. doesn't necessarily have the foot speed to do it or the intelligence at this point. What do you think about all that?
1: Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like, I I do think, you know, if we're talking about ways that you could deploy him to make it so he could guard force this year, I think it is possible. Um, You know, obviously there's a – Uh, You know, the ability to play him and Morris at the same time with someone like Mitch. Uh, So you have Mitch in the middle, and then you play Morris and Knox, and then whoever you want to play at the one and the two at that given time. You know, let's say like Smith and Trier, if it's kind of like a bench unit. Um, Smith not being off the bench, obviously, but, um, uh, you know, that's just kind of something you could do. And, And, you know, then have Knox guard the fours, and Morris, I think, has the ability to guard threes and pretty darn well. In a lot of cases, uh, especially the ones that are, you know, more slashers and able to, um, you know, ball handle more and all that. So, yeah, I just, uh, uh I, I don't know exactly how they're going to be able to deploy him ideally. I feel like he is going to spend a lot of time kind of at the traditional three. I, I feel like going into the season, the three spot is going to be his to lose. Um, I, I think that ideally, Fisdale is probably going to want to see like coming out of camp he's going to want to see Dennis Smith Jr, RJ Barrett, Kevin Knox, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson as his starting five just because those are the guys that you want to see exhibiting the most potential and you know the most immediate ability to like you know justify playing them you know on the potential as well for, so that they can keep getting better and hopefully turn into the the star type players that the Knicks want them to turn into um, I don't know for sure if that's how everything's going to shake down uh, I think there's definitely a chance, too, that Knox could be replaced by Marcus Morris in that lineup, especially at the beginning of the season, if last season was any indication, because Fisdale did start like Lance Thomas to start last season um, and periodically would start Lance Thomas. And Marcus Morris is like, you know, a, a thousand times better version of Lance Thomas. Uh, so we might want that like veteran influence in the starting lineup instead of having Kevin Knox out there. Uh, or you might just see, you know, maybe Alonzo Trier really shows out and they say, well, we got to start him. So they start Trier, move Barrett to the three. I think Barrett is almost guaranteed a starting lineup spot right out of the gate, just because I think they're going to want to see what they have in him and see how much of a, you know, star caliber player he can be. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of murky. I do think that you can find minutes for Knox as like a backup four though, sort of, if you can work things the right way and, and, um you know, get him out there in some kind of small ball lineups. that He might be able to do that from time to time throughout the season. You still there?
0: Yeah, sorry, you you cut out for, like, the last, like, 20 seconds. I wasn't sure if, if you were going to pick up. Uh, where did you finish up?
1: I finished off by saying, um, what was my last thing that I said? I said uh, it, that they could potentially find some spots to put him as the backup for basically throughout the year. I mean, if they try hard oh. enough in like small ball
0: situations. Gotcha. All right. I'll pick up from there in three, two, one. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. I, I have a little bit of a different read on it. I, I have a feeling they're going to start Marcus Morris at the beginning of the year, uh, just in the sense that I, I think they're trying to win to start the season, or at least they they're trying to give that appearance and, I think they're going to build a culture of, and that's sort of in the emphasis of this offseason, like we're going to have depth at every spot, like nothing's going to be given away. These young guys are going to have to earn it. Um, they're, they're trying to build a culture of competition. And I think in a straight up battle where you're not letting the factor of, okay, Knox is an integral part of the future of this team. Marcus Morris maybe is, probably isn't. Um, if you're not, but if if you're not factoring that in and you're just saying who's the better player, like I, I just can't imagine a scenario where uh, on, on the opening day of the 2019-20 NBA season, just a, a little over a month away, that Kevin Knox is going to be better suited to help the Knicks win games than Marcus Morris. I mean, Morris was a, a plus three-point shooter, a, a pretty decent scorer. A a little overrated defensively, but he had some really big performances and all in all was better than anything else the Knicks had on the wing last season, and it's not really particularly close, um, especially between him and Knox. Those, I mean, Morris is just on a completely different level. So I I kind of get the feeling that at least to start off the year, they will be playing Marcus Morris at the three and Julius Randle at the four. And now if you want to go super big and put Kevin Knox at the two, and I mean, again, again, the issue that crops up there is you're you're just going to be a train wreck defensively that way I have a feeling he's going to come off the bench and I'm I'm interested to see exactly where he is in the rotation and how he fits in with all these other guys because even beyond the fact of like whether or not he'll start you, you look at the Knicks offseason additions and you say it's good in the sense that they're better players and obviously like any young guy is going to be boosted by playing with better talent around him and there's going to be less attention paid to Kevin Knox but it's not like the Knicks like acquired like all these like great ball movers and creators and guys who could collapse the defense and kick it out to him for wide open threes. So uh, it's almost like this will be another season where Knox is forced to push his game beyond what's comfortable. And again, you can argue that's good and like, he's going to really be able to expand his offensive attack. But simultaneously, like I I almost think like it's going to be another year where he reinforces some of those bad habits and and just a little bit less because there's not as much responsibility on his shoulders.
1: Yeah. I, if if I could push back on that just a tiny bit, sure. I do think like I do think that some of the offseason additions they brought in are good passers and uh, were brought in with the intention of of keeping the offense moving properly. Like I think Julius Randle is going to really show out as a great passer this year. Um, he has really good assist numbers for a big man. And I'm sure the Knicks are going to want to like run the offense through him and take advantage of his you know good passing ability and passing vision. And, yeah, I I think he, based off watching him, you know, the amount that I have, I think he's a pretty smart player and knows when to pass out of certain situations and stuff like that on offense. Um Also, they brought in Alfred Payton, who's kind of the classic, like, Rajon Rondo-esque, will look for an assist at the expense of almost anything. Um So, you know, you got that going for you, too. Plus, I think Dennis Smith is actually a little – um a little bit underrated as a passer, as we saw last year, at least to me. Um, I think that his his vision was pretty good when he when he got to the Knicks, and you know, as long as he's not trying too hard to get his own shot going, he he looks for others quite a bit as well. So I hope at least between those three guys that are kind of going to be p- like pillar level, you know, ball handlers for the Knicks this year. Um, I hope between those three that that they sort of. Can find knocks in the spot, sort of like what we saw over summer league, and then of course RJ Barrett as well, who I didn't even mention, who I think they're going to trust with a lot of ball handling and distributing abilities as well.
0: Yeah, I it, it, it's a fair point, and and maybe I, I am I'm certainly underrating it a little bit, and I I guess maybe I'm fixating on guys like um, Portis and and Barrett, who's like a good passer, but like tends to play with like his head down a little bit, and like only I, I think with like him and Smith, like they're both they're both solid passers, but it's it's just like it's so situational and they go on runs like where it doesn't even seem like they're really looking, Uh, Or, like, they only want to pass if it directly leads to an assist and don't necessarily make hockey assist plays. But maybe I'm stereotyping. Maybe these guys are all going to take a leap forward. So it'll certainly it'll be fascinating to watch. The the other thing to look for from Knox, assuming he does have to generate a lot of his own offenses, his ability to finish around the rim. Again, these stats courtesy of of this article that I probably plugged 200 times at this point. I kind of sort of want a commission from The Athletic. Uh, Mike Vorkanov uh, writing about the off-seasons for – uh alonzo trier kevin knox and mitchell robinson so it's going to be mentioned next episode too when we talk about mitch um he, he noted in there that knox finished just 35th in effective field goal percentage amongst rookies who played at least 35 games last season and he also finished with the same mark in, in overall field goal percentage and that again sort of denotes his inefficiency and you want to boil it down and say like okay like i mean he, he wasn't a Consistent three point shooter last year, but he did have stretches where he was really good. Why was he so bad? It's because for a relatively athletic six foot nine bulky guy, he was absolutely awful finishing around the rim. He posted the 18th lowest two point field goal percentage of any rookie in the last five seasons. You look at just his dunks. He was the third worst dunker in the league in terms of percentage. He attempted 26 of them last year. He missed eight. He shot just 48 percent at the rim overall, according to cleaning the glass that put him in the ninth percentile amongst all NBA forwards. So you take an average of 100 forwards. He was probably the ninth worst in that group. So you add all that up and and it was still sort of mystifying to me why he wasn't better around the bucket. And granted, again, that's another area where you could sort of um, cross it off as a rookie mistake. And say he he wasn't quite physically ready for the NBA, which is certainly true. And he's only going to get better in that capacity, um, as he continues to grow, probably until he's about 30, he's going to get better and better and better. That being said, you, you do sometimes question like, okay, at a certain point, like either a guy has like a natural touch around the basket or they don't. And, and I, 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 and I don't want to cross that off with Knox because he did show off that nice little floater that worked for him really well at times. And. There's certainly a conviction amongst the Knicks coaching staff, and this is what they're working on and emphasizing for Knox's offseason, that he just sort of missed getting to the rim by a step a lot of times and would settle for those floaters, would settle for like those extendo arm layups instead of getting all the way to the rack and just dunking and going up hard. To me, like, if there's a stat, or if there's two stats that define Kevin Knox's season next year, it'll be how well he shoots around the rim and how many free throws he shoots per game.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And, and you know what? I think towards the end of the season, I remember thinking, you know, that he was, he was growing in that regard. I'm actually going to pull up the splits real quick just to see how many free throw attempts he had towards the end of the year. Um, yeah, towards the, towards the end of the season, he was, he shot 40 free throw attempts in March. In uh, fourteen games, which was around the highest that he did for the whole rest of the season. I mean, he shot fifty attempts in December and forty-two in January as well, um, and shot a decent percentage on those. I think it's all just going to be like him embracing, like taking contact more. Which you know, Knox like, I mean, he he wasn't like skinny, skinny. Like he didn't look like um he didn't look like Tayshon Prince or anything. But I mean, he was he was live last year. You know what I mean? Like he. He needs to put on muscle, and I think he's been working on that. But when you're, like, when you're so much smaller than, you know, these big burly-ass dudes that you're running into in the paint, like, you know, like DeAndre Jordan or Hassan Whiteside-looking guys that you have to drive at, you know, I'm sure it's it's pretty intimidating as a, you know, a 19-year-old who's, you know, whatever, like 200 pounds soaking wet at, you know, six foot 6'9". Um, and it, he was listed at 215 last year. But, I mean, I think if he can put on, like, 15 to 20 pounds of muscle – Which I'm sure he's been working on and, and generally comes on when you're, you know, in your 20, 21, 22 year old, you know, age bracket, uh, once your body's finally stopped growing and, and using up all your metabolism for that. Um, I think he'll, he'll start seeking that contact more. And I think we'll start to see that this year, depending on how well, you know, the off season conditioning works for him as far as putting on muscle and giving him more ability to kind of throw his weight around inside. Um, but yeah, I, I do expect him, I expect those numbers to go up. And if they don't, like if he's still, if he looks bigger and he looks more, you know, able to do that and the, uh, you know, he's still not seeking it, then maybe it's, maybe it's more of a mental issue. But I think last year it was kind of like a, like a reasonable fear issue of like, I'm so much smaller than these guys. If I run into them consistently, I'm going to get hurt or something. Um, and it was just kind of like self preservation, but he did start to embrace it a little more as the season went on. Uh, towards the end of the year so I'd expect to see him come out there and, and really embrace that more this year as well
0: and, and here's the thing at summer league I mean and obviously the guys he's playing against are smaller but he, he looks like a beast like he, he looked like a big freaking dude out there in summer league and if that is sort of the direction he's been going all summer and he just continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger I mean you're looking at a guy who could eventually play at like 6'10", 250, 260, if he like, maybe that's optimistic, but like, if he really like fully fills out, like, he, he's not LeBron, but he's like, he, he has that frame and those broad shoulders to eventually just be like a load. And you again, you combine that with athleticism, you combine that with his shooting touch, and you get why, like, I, I was just going back before this podcast, Alex, and looking up articles about Knox after last summer league, and scouts for other teams were drooling over him and saying, like, he was the steal of the draft. And we talk about this up-and-down season where there were points where people were like, yeah, he is that guy. And other points were like, oh, my God, the Knicks, the Knicks really screwed the pooch. like In another loaded draft, they managed to take the one guy who just doesn't really know how to play basketball and is never going to figure it out. And he's so interesting because you still really don't know. But you just look at him, and you want to bet on those intangibles. Or not intangibles. You want to bet on those physical qualities, and you want to bet on that shooting ability and I, I don't know, I, I almost think there's too much talent there for him to totally fail, and I kind of like what you said earlier, where, like, look, almost the worst-case scenario is he becomes, like, a pretty good three-point shooter and, and just shows flashes in the other parts of his game, but I, I'm just, he, he's the guy, I think, of anyone on this Knicks team I'm most interested to see play next year, because there there's just sort of the most variance with him in terms of what he could be.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, you could be looking at anything from... You know, I I mean I can't I've used Richard Lewis as a comp a lot that I think that Knox could potentially live up to, but maybe a beefier Richard Lewis. I actually just looked him up literally as you were talking, Richard Lewis, see what he played at. Allegedly he played at two fifteen, which is exactly what Knox weighs now. Uh but he was never the strongest player. But then if you look at someone else who's built sorta of like Knox, uh you have Kevin Duran as well, who is a couple inches taller. Uh, Durant is listed at 6'9", but it's well known that he's actually about 7 feet tall. Uh, but he plays at 240. So, I mean, if Knox can, like I said, put on maybe like 20 pounds of muscle or something, he could potentially be a force there. Um, but yeah, like this best case scenario could be someone like like Rashard Lewis, uh, who's a good scorer and, and just isn't super strong, or all the way up to, I'm not going to say Kevin Durant, but, you know, Someone in that same mold, just not as good. I don't want to set the ceiling that high, but you know, someone who can, who can score. I mean, like we already said, Rudy Gay it'd kind of be like that. Hopefully a little more efficient, you know, than, than like younger Rudy Gay. Um, or he could potentially bottom out, but you know, the bottom for him, I think would maybe be something like. I don't know, I'm trying to think. Like, I really think that his three-point shot is going to come around and he's going to be a 40-plus percent three-point shooter, if nothing else. So he could be like a Steve Novak if worse came to worse, I guess, which would really, really – that would be, like, the, the basement level for Knox, I think, is he could become, like, a Steve Novak-esque, just, like, three-point specialist. Uh, but I really hope that he becomes more than that, obviously, because as much as I love Novak, that's not exactly what you want out of one of your lottery picks. But, yeah, I think – it's like you said. I, I I would bet on his intangibles. I would bet on him figuring it out. He The the most important thing with Knox to me is that he seems to have a good head on his shoulders. He seems to uh, work really hard. He seems, you know, he's not uh, overly confident in himself where he thinks that he can do no wrong. He seems like he's, you know, very aware of what his shortfalls are and wants to improve them. There was multiple articles last year about him talking about, like, you know he would talk with his his mom and his dad and whatever about like uh you know his dad was a former uh, pro football player so you know has that same athlete mentality and he's like yeah I'll talk to my mom and my dad and they'd say like you got to get inside more you got to seek contact more you got to do this you got to do that and you would literally see it pop up in games um and I'm sure he takes that same criticism from the Knicks coaching staff to heart as well and works really hard at that so I I think I'd like to see a little bit of a leap from him this year. I'd like to see, if nothing else, his percentages start to really go up this year. And that would kind of be my goal for him, even if he doesn't look like a perfect finished product this year, because I do still think, you know, given what we know about him and, you know, what we've read about uh, how he's still growing and stuff, it might not be fair to fully start judging him until, like, his third season in the league because you'll need him to stop growing and have some time to, like, really acclimate to his body and work on his craft, like with a more or less finished product of a, of a body to work with. You know what I mean? So I, uh, that's kind of my thoughts as far as he's concerned.
0: Hey, you know what? He's only 20 years old. And with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. Uh, tune in next time, uh, probably a little bit later this week. You, won't, you certainly won't have to wait half a month this time around where we are reviewing, uh, the GOAT, the current GOAT for the Knicks. Mitchell Robinson, uh, his season, and what he could be down the road, that next time on Locked on Knicks, we'll have some great guests for you on the docket. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. It's good to be back, and we'll talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks.